Welcome to Cinemantics, the podcast about movies good and bad, but mostly bad. I'm your host, Nick Melton, and I have two co-hosts today. Jeff Heatherly and Ryan Hauser. Ryan, who hasn't been on the podcast in over a year. Yes, You've yes. been gone. I only do the better ones. Yeah, the better ones. Well, this uh, is exciting, because this starts off a month of podcast that has been in the works for over a year now. We've actually had... Um, one episode of this month recorded since last February, so finally we're putting it out there into the ether of the interwebs. I speak, of course, of this fabled month of John Carpenter-Kurt Russell collaborations. Not only that, it's the start of season two. Of of my show, you will have noticed the new theme music. New website uh, design. New website design. Hopefully yeah. the Facebook page is up. Yeah. Uh, You're taking it all off for season two. Yeah. The gloves are off. Uh, I was being more yeah, sexy. I, I don't know where, okay. where that was coming from. Anyway, John Carpenter and Kurt Russell have done five movies together at this point. Uh, we'll be covering four of them over the next month, because one of them was a TV movie about Elvis, and I feel no no need to watch it. Oh, okay. Unless, uh, I mean, I might watch it later on my own time, but no. We should inform the listeners that the sky is also pouring itself out right now. Yeah, we're recording this in the middle of a thunderstorm, so if you hear thunder or whatnot... Yeah, that's what's going on. Yeah. Um, this first movie is from 1981, uh, directed, of course, by John Carpenter and starring the immortal Kurt Russell. I was going to say Kirk Russell. Uh, probably <laughs> inspired by seeing Kirk Douglas at the Oscars last night. You know! <laughs> um, anyway, this is Escape from New York, and uh, kind of a legendary movie because it's the first movie to feature the character of Snake Plissken, who sort of became like an iconic character for Kurt Russell. Um, I've seen this movie before, but before we go any further, I kind of wondering what you guys thought of it. Um, it was alright. Didn't really knock my dick in the dirt or anything. Care to expand on that? I mean, not really. That's it? Okay. <laughs> go. <laughs> it's not a bad movie. Uh, iconic character was Snake. Uh, I think the only thing that really dated it was the really weird John Carpenter synthesizer scores, but... Yeah, John Carpenter likes to write his own music, and this movie features... The score from Reading Rainbow. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you said that. I like to think it's the Halloween music, just with even more dated synthesizers, and just the notes reversed. Yeah, I guess. Um, Anyway, so where to begin with this one? None of you had that inspiring of comments. (laughs) Well, it's just that, like, the the thing that I was waiting for with this movie is that this is Escape from New York. This is, you say, the the birth of the iconic character Snake Plissken, when he did really nothing that really intrigued me at all. He was a very stock action hero for the entirety of this movie. Fairly one-dimensional. Yeah. He has an eye patch. Is, is, that, is that really his main selling point? Because if it is, is a gravelly voice. I mean, I love Kurt Russell, but if that's his only selling point, then we're kind of done here. Um, actually, Just... I wanted to get your opinions on this uh, subject. Um, how much of your non-reaction to this movie is based on the fact that it's been 30 years since this movie came out? I mean, I'm sure that doesn't help because we've seen far more badass badasses since. But do you think that at the time this movie was released... He wouldn't have been so much of a stock architect. I think the I think what would have what would probably made him novel in 1981 was the eye patch. 
<laughs> was the fact that it was Kurt Russell because this is early '80s Kurt Russell. He's coming off of like two decades of being Disney's bitch. He's like he was like Zac Efron, you know, like this is him really coming out of his shell. As soon as he says "fuck" in this movie, I'm sure America was like, "Oh, Zac Efron's growing up." Except they didn't know who Zac Efron was because he hadn't been born exactly. yet. Exactly. <laughs> so you know what I'm saying? Is that because he you know, computer wore tennis shoes? You know that's that was his bag, right? And then now he's he's you know I'm Snake Plissken and fuck. <laughs> that's that's, <laughs> that's it. Okay. Uh, any additions, expansions? No, really. My my thoughts were fairly similar. I mean, he's a very one dimensional character. Uh, apparently, he has this whole background, but they never really expand on it. Yeah. I kind of like that though. He. I remember hearing somebody joke about it once that like this movie is nothing but people coming up to Kurt Russell going, "Hey, hey I thought you were dead." dead. <laughs> and that's that. That is kind of what they do the whole movie. He he was the character's backstory is he was a black ops agent, covert ops or something, and he and he did he flew into Siberia. Or yeah, something. what was his like regiment called? Like Task Force Mustang or something? Something like, like that. Something ridiculous. <laughs> but it's um, so interesting. He's supposed to be a covert operative or whatever, but everybody knows who well, he is. Well, clearly he did <laughs> something that uh, achieved national attention. Um, he has two purple hearts, and he true. did. He. It's interesting. the The movie was, I think, supposed to open originally with the scene of him robbing the bank, which ah. they reference, and that's the reason that they were going to send him to New York anyway. We should probably explain why they were sending him to New York. In 1988, Manhattan Island was turned into a maximum security prison. Because the crime rate in the United States rose 400%. We are informed in entirely capital letters on the screen. Yes. Um, and we see this nifty like wire diagram of New York, and they explain how Manhattan Island is now like the number one maximum security prison for the entire country. So, cut to 1997. Or in giant letters, now. Mm, that's not dated at all. No. <laughs> it's kind of cynical that he thinks that America could take that steep a decline in only eight, 17 years, 16 well, years. Let's face it, he's not the only one. Almost every vision of the future is always bleak, post-apocalyptic stuff. It's, rarely is it like bicentennial. Yeah, it, it was not so much <laughs> like that it was a post-apocalyptic, more that it was so soon. Yeah. What if you think, too, is... This was written, John Carpenter admitted that he wrote it right during the Watergate scandal. Oh, yeah. Uh, so that probably had a lot to do with it. And I'm sure a lot of people's opinion of the U.S. was pretty bleak at the time. Mm, that's a good point. This movie is set against a backdrop of apparently there are nuclear secrets and we're trying to keep things peaceful with China. And the Soviet Union. And the Soviet Union, yeah. It's probably the Soviet Union more than China. Um, but anyway, at the beginning of the movie, this like freedom fighter group takes um, takes control of Air Force One and crashes it in the middle of New York. And um, the president is on board because it's Air Force One, so he he escapes in his little escape pod. Air Force One, yeah, the, the giant Force red one, egg. Yeah. And he crashes down in New York. But when they go to try and find him, it's empty and he's nowhere to be found. So they bring in Snake Plissken, covert operative extraordinaire. And most who famous man in America. Yeah, who's not that covert because everyone knows who he is. To go in there and he's got 24 hours to get him out or else these explosives that they planted in his neck will explode and he'll die. So he has to go in there and get him out. Yeah. And he runs into a cast of colorful characters. Ernest Borgnine Ernest and Borg, Want to do, do cast? Let's do cast. Let's go down here and see if we got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Top of the bill here is Kurt Russell, Snake Plissken with his eye patch and his gruffness and his Josh Holloway good looks. And then there's uh, Lee Van Cleef of the good, the bad, and the ugly fame as his commander, Bob Hawk. Not to be confused with the cinematographer, Bob Hawk. You are aware there's a cinematographer named Bob Hawk, right? I'm aware there's a cinematographer named Buzz Feitchens the Fourth. Yes, there is. <laughs> but he didn't do this movie. 
Buzz Functions. Uh, we also have Ernest Borgnine, who masturbates a lot, as Cabby. <laughs> I'm sorry that that's become his identifier, Nick, but it's just it's such a fascinating story. Whenever I hear of Ernest Borgnine, I think of that Weird Al Yankovic song, Your Horoscope for Today. Take down all those naked pictures of Ernest Borgnine you've got hanging in your den. Your experience of Weird Al is far more encyclopedic than mine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I just like that song. Anyway... You know what else Ernest Borgnine does lately? What? He's the voice of Mermaid Man on SpongeBob SquarePants. Aww. Joined by Tim Conaway as uh, as Barnacle Boy. Aww. They're elderly superheroes. Aww. It's magic. Fourth bill, we have Donald Pleasance as the inexplicably German president of the United States. <laughs> well, that's just because it's Donald Pleasance. Yes. Um, we were gonna actually going to talk about Donald Pleasance and how Germanic he was. I mean, like, do you think that was intentional casting? Was it, a guy with such a weird accent in the role? Was there an? Or was the movie trying to imply that that since that, that in the future they're going to get rid of the "have to be born in the United States" rule? Well, I don't know. They, they just sort of were making like little offhanded re- remarks that the country is like under this sort of totalitarian rule now. And I was wondering if you think. Although at the same time, did they make comments that the president didn't even matter if it went past a certain time frame? They didn't get it right, right. So, I mean, it seems what they mostly wanted was the stuff in his briefcase and to put him in a blonde wig, right? right. <laughs> in which he is hideous. Yeah. But anyway, continue. Uh, fifth build is Soul Legend Isaac Hayes as the Duke of New York, as Patton Oswalt teased me that I would see. Yeah, you knew that he was coming because you know Patton Oswalt so well. Patton tells a story about the Duke of New York hoarding electricity and men in dresses singing and dancing. Well, that's what happens in this movie. Yes. So yeah, Isaac Hayes. Sort of odd to see him in a movie. I mean, he was in a couple of movies. I was at, uh, I was at a Kmart the other day and saw this value. It was like a, a collection of black exploitation films and there was one where he's just, just Isaac Hayes on the cover with a gun looking like, hey, I'm Isaac Hayes. Want to fight about it? <laughs> uh, and then, Is it called, hey, I'm Isaac Hayes. Want to fight about it? It certainly should have been. <laughs> Um, and then next we have our featured actress, as the opening credits tells us, Season Hubley, as the girl in, in the chock full of nuts. Who is Season Hubley? I don't know, but she's got big Hubleys. Whoa! <laughs> um, no, no, no. She, I think she was just there to be, hey, I'm vaguely 1981 attractive. Let's talk I'm for a minute. I'm in chock full of nuts. I'm yeah. going to try and seduce Kurt Russell. Yeah, she's unimportant. I don't know why she gets higher billing than the rest of the people in it's the cast. True. It's true. I don't know what she was... Let's find out what she was famous for, if anything. <laughs> if anything. Um, um, nothing. Yeah, you're not wrong. She played Oh, she played Priscilla in that Elvis movie with Kurt Russell. Yeah. And, uh, she, and she was on the Partridge Family. Oh, I remember And Vice that. Squad. And All My Children. And Kojak. And in Stepfather 3. Yeah, Terry she hasn't O'Quinn. done anything of note, ever. Her brother is actor Whip Hubley. Ooh, Whip. And she was married to Kurt Russell. Oh, maybe oh. that's why. From 1979 to 1983. There you go. His clout got her the role. Okay. Uh, Kurt Russell. Hey, give my wife a job. He traded up. Uh, yeah. Anyway, let's talk about the next fella. Harry Dean Stanton. Screen legend as Harold Brain Hellman. You know, I was commenting during the movie. I was thinking to myself that Roger Ebert who we have a tumultuous relationship with, once said that he would watch any movie that had either Harry Dean Stanton in it or another guy whose name I can't remember. Uh, I just had it and lost it. Um, John Larroquette? No, not John Larroquette. We can only hope. No, it was another one of those like little... Uh, um, E. Emmett Walsh. Ah, M. Emmett Walsh. M. Emmett Walsh, yeah. One of those two guys. They make any movie worth watching, but watching this movie is like, 
there are some movies where Harry Dean Stanton just doesn't give a good performance. He just and doesn't give a crap in this movie. He's it's it's a paycheck movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah we, we need him. him. <laughs> uh, I'm uh, non-committal. I'm the prophet. Have you watched a bit? Have you watched Big Love? He's he's the prophet of the the. the uh, yeah, I've seen I've seen Big Love. Yeah. I've seen enough of Big Love to know who he is on that show. He's creepy and has young young wives. That's because he's a Mormon. Yeah. Controversy! <laughs> anyway, uh, up next we have 70s screen legend Adrian Barbeau as Maggie. Yeah, I commented a lot of times during this movie that Adrian Barbeau is just not attractive. She looked like a wraith with breasts and, and a vague woman fro. Yeah, I mean, well, that was what was attractive in the 70s. What was she, like, originally? Like, I only know her because she was in this movie and in the other John Carpenter movie, The Fall. And because they talk about her on C-Lab. Yeah, yeah, yeah that too. <laughs> but, but really, like... What was she? What did she do? She was just like a 70s sex symbol, like somewhere... Yeah, but why? I don't know. I think she was in some movie where she was... Click her name. ...scantily clad. Um, like all her movies. True. Uh, Fog, Creepshow, Swamp Thing, Escape from New York. She came to prominence in the 1970s as Broadway's original Rizzo in the musical Grease. Uh. Oh, Maud Fren- Finley's uh, divorced daughter, Carol Trainer in the sitcom Maud, starring B. Arthur. Oh, uh, yes. There you Looking go. Looking at that picture of her in 2008, she's aged very well. She has aged very well. She but looks better now than she did in the 70s. She does, actually. And she played, I want to say, uh, yeah, D- Diedrich Bader's mother on the Drew Carey show. Ha! And she was married to John Carpenter from 1979 to 1984. It's, oh. There is so much nepotism in this movie. <laughs> and she's been there's, married... There's, I'm, we're uncovering a rather sinister side of this and movie. And she's been married to Billy Van Zandt. Of of the E Street Band? No, that's Steve Van Zandt. Oh, then who's Billy I don't know Van who Billy Van Zandt? Is. Well, she's been married to him since 1992. But uh, one thing I just noticed and I just remembered is that she was the voice of Catwoman on Batman the Animated Series. Excellent. Yes, I love Batman the Animated Series. Don't we all, sir? Um, but that's her story. Anyway, I feel like we're leaving you out. Do you have anything to say? No, 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 not at all. Okay, okay. Well, up next we have a fellow that I claimed invented the Atkins diet, but I'm sure he didn't. Tom Atkins as Rem. Is he the weird guy with the spiky hair? I don't know. Maybe. I believe that's him. Uh, let's take a look here. Tom Atkins as Rem. Whoa. No, he looks like Rip Taylor now. So I, <laughs> I really don't know what Clearly to tell you. Clearly he's aged quite a bit. I, yeah, I don't know who Rem is. I don't, think, uh, I don't think the guy who played that character would be 75 now. No. That doesn't make any sense. Also, he looks too fat. Oh, was he the guy standing next to Lee Van Cleef the entire movie? Probably, yeah. Okay. Um, up next we have Charles Cyphers as the Secretary of State. Who was such a bit part? Yeah, I don't even know who that is. It, actually, he might be. Who, is he who I think I I is? I can't speak. He's not related to actor. Okay, so I'm thinking of John Cipher, who, who along, alongside whom he played in Hill Street Blues. That's not a weird phrasing <laughs> at all. Um, John Cipher, his brother, was on this television sitcom Major Dad with Gerald McCraney. Yay! Yes, who uh, was on Deadwood? Yeah. Boom. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Up next, we have uh, Joe Unger as Taylor, a character who's apparently only in deleted scenes in this movie. So, fuck that. And then, and then next, we have a couple of actors who are a, ne- a couple of characters who are named after film directors. Yes, Frank Doubleday as Romero and John Strobel as Cronenberg. That's sort of an odd shout out. Is to... Frank Doubleday the guy with the spiky hair? Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> if Although he's in Assault on Precinct Thirteen, also. I forgot John Carpenter directed that. Yeah, apparently it's so much better than the remake. I'm, I'm certain of it. Um, Let's face it, if you remake something that... with Ethan Hawke, you're kind of asking for trouble. Yeah, um, the <laughs> one thing I wanted to look up that isn't on the cast, which is odd. Oh, uh, there it is. We were right. Ox Baker 
plays the dude that Snake fights in the wrestling uh, ring yes. at the end. He's an American former professional wrestler and was feared for his dreaded finishing move, the heart punch. Sometimes called the hurt punch. Does he, did he have After any... After his famous catchphrase, I love to hurt people. Yes. Uh, he wasn't... Uh, was he in WWE at any point? He was in the WWF. It is, yeah, it is, it is believed that Ox Baker's short 1980 stay in the World Wide Wrestling Federation, which is what WWE used to be, even before it was WWF, uh, he did one television taping. His career was aborted because Vince McMahon Sr., Vince's dad, was unimpressed with his ring work. Some rumors have Baker initially planned to challenge the heavyweight champion Bob Backlund. So I was hoping when we were watching the movie that you'd recognize him because you're such a wrestling fan. But, uh... An estimated 8,000 men have fallen to the heart punch. Among them are Fritz Von Erich, David Von Erich, Carrie Von Erich, oh God, I hope Jimmy Superfly Snooka, Vern Gagne, Ernie Ladd, Harley Race, Bulldog Brower, Mill Mascaris, Hulk Hogan, and The Sheik. Hogan's knockout came when he tried to wrestle the Florida title away from Baker. Ha! Ah, the Hulk. So anyway, yeah, he... <laughs> A big ish, a big ish wrestler of the time. I don't. Know, I thought you would find it. Interesting. I mean, I'm intrigued sometimes by the history, but you know me. I like it. I like it now. I watch it for the writing. Right. Like on true. that show that is on hiatus. I don't know what you're talking about. The, the <laughs> other pod. You know, anyway. Right. Anyway, let's move on. That, I mean, that's the, so that's cast. the cast. Uh, so now that we've gone through the plot and the cast, did what did you like about this movie? Um. Wow, that doesn't speak very well. Doesn't speak very well for the movie. I mean, nothing. Like I said, I mean, it's the best way to put it. Nothing really knocked my dick in the dirt, as Doug Benson would say. Just like it was. Oh, this is happening. Okay, he's got an eye patch on. That's neat. What about say the set designs and the production of the city? Yeah, I guess that was all right. Some, all right, I thought that was awesome. Sometimes it verged on. Are we serious? But then again, I guess I'm thinking with a 2011 head. What do you Which mean? I really, really don't Are we do that serious? Job. I meant like just the look of the movie. Like, oh, okay. The destroyed city. Yeah. The like they, they they it looks like they built just like a whole alternate New York for this. It's movie. like the the city in the end at the end of Inception. Right. Except better, kind of. Because Inception's in their dreams. Yeah. What do you think? Well, I thought there were some some good parts. I thought the set was pretty interesting, even though the character Snake was really one dimensional. He was kind of a badass. You know, I could see its pill during the seventies. It has sort of a B-movie-ish feel, even though it wasn't a B-movie. I mean, it grossed about $50 million. Yeah. Uh, so it did pretty well. Uh, I think it's just, you know, slightly dated. You know, product of the times? Yeah. Like, the, the thing that really strikes me watching it is that I'm pretty... It's it's an action film, I think, is how they try and market it. Like, oh, John Carpenter's exciting escape from New York, but the pacing is so slow and, yeah. and even yeah. and measured. It like, starts off real slow. In and, and continues to be slow, like, the whole movie. Like, there are only a couple action sequences in the whole movie and they're pretty short-lived yeah um there's that bit that's like classic action hero where like the crazy people in new york are chasing him through the abandoned building and we were making fun of it the whole time and we're like snake pliskin doesn't open doors he makes makes them them because he takes his machine gun and he shoots through the shoots a ring of bullets into the wall kicks the middle of it so it (laughs) knocks the ring out of the wall and just jumps through it like that is action hero badassery and Maybe the movie would have been better with more of that. What I loved about those first few scenes, as I told you, it was like a, it was like a first-person shooter meets one of those indoor rides at Disney World. Because it was just him going through these dark corners, and everywhere he would turn, there would be someone awkwardly moving, kind of robotically, like punching, <laughs> punching an emotionless person for no reason. Like, you know. <laughs> and the movie's kind of strange that way. All of the people that he encounters at the beginning of the movie are really odd. 
like mentally deficient. Yeah. Like no one like there's that scene where he's in the basement and those two guys are throwing that woman around while the, the other yeah. guy just stands in the corner like Ugh, clap. Not doing anything. Like I said, I think yeah. it was an interpretive dance about the the state of the economy. I'm gonna have rape for dinner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah that's basically there, what that was. There was a yeah. lot of rape for dinner in that in that basement. Because there was a, well, we should explain where that came from. The yeah. idea of rape for dinner. <laughs> that Pat Oswald. Well, not just that. The scene where it happens. Where what did he actually say? I don't know. I just remember a guy yelled something that I thought thought he said rape again. Oh. um... I remember what scene you're talking about, but he doesn't say. He says something about scene, snake. It? Right? it was the post-fight scene after they'd all been chanting Snake's name. Right. It's like the president's gone. The president's gone. Rape again. No, brain, brain took, took him. him. Oh, brain took him. That's it. Okay. Rape again. <laughs> Go rape. Uh, that would have been interesting. Yeah. Though. I mean, I believe it in this situation. The the movie. I, I got to tell you something though. Like, I want to make it a reference here because I think this will help you understand. I feel like I've seen this movie done better, and I know it's going to be kind of a a slap in this movie's face to say that this movie was did it better. Have you heard of a movie that came out a couple of years ago by the name of Doomsday? Vaguely. Uh, it, it was it was terrible, but I have an affection for it. Uh, a movie called Doomsday starring Rona Mitra. Everybody kept trying to make the new Kate Beckinsale, and it's just it's just not happening. And they finally realized that was a thing and stopped. Um, but it was an interesting movie with you know. They go into this quarantined area where, for some reason, Malcolm McDowell has created a kingdom that looks like the 16th century. Why? Because he's Malcolm McDowell and it's Doomsday. <laughs> um, Malcolm McDowell. But that was the movie where, like, they would take people and, like, roast them on a spit and then eat, the, eat them off the bone. Like, it was a weird movie. And then cars with people's heads on the fronts and a lot of leather Why do you feel that that did it better if the general apocalyptic scenario is 16th century? Well, that was just one segment of the country. Oh. The rest of it was all like nineteen late 80s punk and uh, cannibalism. Just how many of my men did you kill? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love yeah. that movie yeah. so much. <laughs> this movie needed a, a dose of Tank Girl it in there. It so did. I mean, it, it had it had potential for wackiness that it just didn't explore. It's something that I've been realizing lately. Is the fact of the matter is that, that nobody, nobody would allow themselves to be wacky in an action situation until years and years later. That's true. Every like movies took themselves way too seriously until like late 80s, maybe Lethal Weapon, maybe. Oh yeah, well that was the classic like action comedy yeah. of the eighties and nineties, and it's true. This movie does take itself very seriously. Like right from the very beginning, John Carpenter's Escape from New York. Like he put his own name like it's, in the title. It's like a weird Woody Allen opening with long credits and black and white screens and whatnot with, with his droning synthesizers. Yeah, this is sort of like. Tonight on the news, you know, it doesn't, there's no, there's no like action music in this whole movie. He is just like these slow, like little synthesizer chords with an occasional It's like, like the beat score to it. Mario's time machine on the Super Nintendo. Did you ever play that game? I didn't. Educational Mario games, Mario's oh, time God. machine and Mario is missing. Ugh, wow, I have not played that. It sounds horrible. It, all the, the, that, that's actually what it sounds because the, the scores, the score of Mario's Time Machine is just this really slow, like bump, bump, bump. It's just like, and yet that's more exciting than the art music. Oh man! <laughs> and the, the the one scene that I really noted, and you heard me complain about it in the movie, was the scene where he takes off in the in the glider. He's got a synthesized version of a Debussy piece in there, and the piece is called the Sunken Cathedral, and it's about a church that's underwater like at the bottom of the ocean 
and yet he's using it for a scene where he's in a plane. Yeah. I don't know, man. Anyway, John Carpenter, you confuse me. He's I don't know why man. you had to, had to write your own music. And when he did The Thing, however many years later, he got Ennio Morricone to write the music for it, and it's a much better score. Has so. he scored his own movies any time since? Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I don't know if he wrote the music for, uh, I don't know. Did he score? Did he score Escape from L.A.? I don't know. Want to find out? Let's find out. Escape from L.A. Which... The sequel, which came out inexplicably in 1996, a full 15 years later. Yes, John Carpenter and Shirley Walker who did who the score to Batman: Batman Mask of the Phantasm. Bat, Mask of the Phantasm, and the animated series. and the animated series. Bat, Bat, yeah. Shirley Walker. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know if he wrote the music for any of his other big movies. He wrote it for Halloween. I know. Yeah. He might have done uh, Assault on Precinct 13 also. I, I don't know if he did like Big Trouble in Little China or anything. We'll find out. We will. Any any anything you want to add? Hoorah. Hoorah. Ryan is very not talkative. I guess he doesn't have much to say about this He's movie. He's playing the role of Robin Gibb. I really don't know what to think of it. I mean, it was enjoyable, but it was sort of, uh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, kind of blah. I feel like I'm trying to like defend the movie, kind of. Because I, I really liked it the first time I saw it, and this time I watched it, I'm like, it's going so slowly. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know what to tell you, Nick. Yeah, this might be just a short episode. I mean, honestly, it's I mean, listen, it's not a bad movie. It's just like I'm sure this was like groundbreaking, and everybody was like just losing their shit about this in '81. But speaking of which, you want to talk about the special effects? Like they really tried to hammer home like those special effects grids. Like I mean, it would have been pretty amazing for 1981. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they were rocking that like Tron kind of light mm-hmm. special effects stuff. I love where they had the radar screen in black and white and the radar screen in color exact same. The exact thing. same radar screen. Yeah. <laughs> Special effects for mockery. Yeah, yeah. Or or uh, Lee Van Cleef's giant cell phone. Oh, that was yeah. That was even bigger than the cell hands. phones of that time. Yeah, well, it was a big army cool. phone, I guess. Yeah, but it was like as big as his arm and he was just like holding it like, yes? <laughs> the listeners can't see, but it was, it's, it's, it's fucking huge. Yeah. Okay, here's another topic. Reaction to Ernest Borgnine. <laughs> Very interesting character. I think he might have been the only place where they were trying to have comedy in the whole Yeah, thing. yeah. But he came off being like he came off like that dude who sits next to Job of the Hut where he's just kind of just kind of jumping around and being all spastic and crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so you feel like he was sort of a, What are we gonna do today, Snake? We're gonna go on an adventure? Are you crazy? Get in my cab. Let's listen to American Bandstand. It's like <laughs> it's just like he was so hyperactive. Wearing his hat and watching men dance in dresses. Throws the Molotov, you know, bomb out Do you feel the movie would have been better off without him? No. No, no. You needed him. Because, Why would you ever say no to Ernest Borgnine? Because what you basically just said is that his tone is so different than the rest of the films. It's it's not even that. It's it's that he's playing a character who should realistically be like a kid. He's a very childlike man. This character. <laughs> and I don't know what we can say about Ernest Borgnine. He's very innocent compared to all the other characters. Yeah, yeah. I mean... Yeah, yeah he doesn't seem to get anything that's going on around him. He's like, I've been driving this cab for 30 years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's seen some terrible things, but he takes everything with this massive sense of wonderment. But he, he kind of saves everybody at the end. Isn't he the guy that shows up with the... After yeah, the car yeah. doesn't work, he, he just miraculously shows up? It's true. What are, what are you looking at there? Oh, I just wanted to see if there was anything, like, what... Uh, what the reception of the film was, what people thought of it. Oh, when you it know, came I did out. see that uh, the maker of uh, 
the Metal Gear series apparently based his character Solid Snake after Snake. That's true. I, I, I should, we should have mentioned that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, William Gibson, who wrote a bunch of cyberpunk books in the 80s, uh, credits the film as an influence on his novel Neuromancer, which I haven't read, but I have heard of, so I guess yeah, it's yeah. important in that genre. It has 81% on Rotten Tomatoes. Which, that's not bad. Yeah. But once again, we're going on 81 standards. Right. We are literally 30 years later. So you feel standards have become titans since then? I don't know. People are just a lot bitchier. They need more pop. They need stuff to happen faster. And as much as I tried to not be one of those people, I can't deny that I was sitting, watching most of this movie like, is anything going to happen? It was a fairly soon? slow movie for an action Yeah. An action pick. Like, I, I, I feel sad almost that I'm of the generation I am because I feel like I could have enjoyed this a little more if I was maybe 10 years older. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway. A long pause, Nick. You want to talk about the remake that they're proposing? Oh, yes. Let's do it. Uh, Scottish actor Gerard Butler was close to signing a deal where he'd play Snake Plissken in a remake of the film. Um, because we need to remake everything that was even moderately successful. Huh? Although, I suppose Gerard Butler is not a terrible choice. He's not, but I'm also kind of tired of Gerard Butler. The last, like, He did one good thing for me. White Pete. And that's it. <laughs> In that, in that, uh, the original one up with that sketch on yeah. SNL. Yeah. You mean Three Hundred isn't your favorite George Butler movie? I've actually never seen Three Hundred. Oh, it's all right. Yeah, <laughs> but here's an interesting thing I'm noticing right here. In November 2010, reports cited Jeremy Renner was in talks to play Snake Plissken. Huh. Reports also suggest that Josh Brolin has also been considered. Hmm. I would take either of those guys over Gerard Butler. I w- yes, yes, yes. I mean, although we made such a big point of Snake being such a one-dimensional character, does it really matter who plays him? Well, no, because if they did it now, they would actually make him a character. Would they? Yeah, I think so. Like, um, how many action movies now can you name where the characters are really fleshed out and fully developed? Well, I don't even think it's a matter of that. I think it's a matter of the fact that because it's a remake of, a mo- of an established movie... Uh, you know, they're going to have the older fans coming in there, and in a weird way, they're, I feel like they're going to demand more character development, even out of the remake, than they would have gotten from the original. It's weird, because, like, we talk about how kind of stupid most common moviegoers are these days, but the fact of the matter is, even the dumbest moviegoer requires a little character development. And you can do it. I mean, look at action heroes, like the Die Hard character. Yes, I John mean, McClane. very developed. Yes. Really. Yeah, but they had, like, three movies to do it. No, no, no. Not they, even in the first one. In the first one, they kind, of, they kind of gave us a pretty good picture of him. And really, if they did remake it, this would be perfect, because how they developed that character was through the radio conversations on Die Hard. There were a lot of radio conversations uh, and Escape from the And who's to say, it's, I mean, it's not, it's not going to be a shot-for-shot remake. It's not Gus Van Zandt's Psycho or anything. Right. It's going to be... Gus Van Zandt's Escape from New York. Yeah, wouldn't that be amazing? Really <laughs> bad. But no, um... Although I'd be kind of intrigued to see Gus Van Zandt tackle an action movie. Yeah, no. Anyway, what were you saying? Nothing else. I was just going to say Josh Holloway. Who is that? He played Sawyer on Lost. Oh, that guy. Yeah. Oh, he would he would be a pretty good snake. I feel like he would. I, I although I think he I want to see him do anything since Lost because I remember when they were talking a little bit about um this was they were talking for a short time about instead of just doing a fourth Indiana Jones movie with Harrison Ford like recasting Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. That's who I was going for. That was fascinating. I'm sure. I thought it was just <laughs> going to go on longer. That's the pause. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just sort of interesting, we, we were talking about how the concept that, like, th- there can be a character without much development or dimension, and yet the actor that plays him is, like, totally important. Because Russell? Yeah, yeah, Because you'd think that any character like that, any actor could take a spin on him and, and, and kind of make him their own. I mean, I, I, th- I think the presence of Kurt Russell makes him likable enough that we're, la- we're not, like, completely bored of him. Yeah. Kurt Russell is awesome. He is. 
And I think is well, this, this did this movie come out before or after Overboard? I do not know. Do you remember Overboard, Nick? Have you I, ever seen Overboard? I have never seen Overboard. Oh, sir, it's a delicious picture uh, from 1987. Okay, so oh, so way after this. Yeah, movie. yeah it's after he was married to, or not married, but in that common law relationship with Guilty Han. Right. <laughs> yeah. But I forgot that they were a thing. Yeah, they're still together. Good really? for them. Yeah. Oh. Goldie Hawn should have been in this movie. Well, they weren't dating yet, so that no one would have put her in. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> it's a nepotism movie. It's oh, totally yeah. a nepotism movie. I'm surprised uh, Charles Cypher's brother, John Cypher, didn't show up. Well, it's Charles Cypher's... But John Cypher's goes by John Cypher. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird, I know. <laughs> I did not know that. Well, I don't really have that much more to say. It's weird, isn't it? It is. This movie went by so fast, and, and or no, the movie went by really slowly. Really slowly. But the conversation is just kind of done. You feel like this was a movie that we wouldn't be talking about today if it were released now, but it just it was probably. I think we talk the about the timing it, of its release was I, important. I, I think we talk about it for a couple of reasons. We talk about it because it was a very similar role for Kurt Russell. We talk about it because it's a John Carpenter movie, and John Carpenter is one of the most beloved directors of all time. We talk about it because, yeah, I, I think, as I said, I think by 1981 standards, this probably was the peak of badassery. So, it, And also it has a car with chandeliers on the hood. It does. <laughs> and Isaac Hayes. Well, it's Isaac Hayes' car. And Adrian Barbeau. I'd like to point out that the only time the music gets even remotely active is when Isaac Hayes comes on screen. It's like the <laughs> saxophone like, solo for Charles Robinson. Right. In synthesizer form. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What a weird reference you just made right there. I will never I will never cease to make a, a reference to Night Court. That will happen. Have you seen Night Court? I have. Okay, mm-hmm. well you know in the opening credits how it's just sort of going along and it's being all 80s. When the black character comes on screen, bam! The saxophone solo. <laughs> yeah. It's like in the theme for Matlock when the black guy starts running down the alley. Yes. All of a sudden the tambourine starts playing and it gets all like yeah, yeah. all upbeat. Racist theme music. Yeah. Oh man, Andy Griffith. Yeah. As Snake Plissken. <laughs> oh man. No, he would have been the, he would have been the guy standing next to Lee Van Cleef. Or Lee Van Cleef. Yeah. Have you seen Spy Hard? No, I know I know I need to see it, but I haven't. The only thing I really remember from Spy Hard, apart from the opening credits, is that bit where Andy Griffith gets both of his arms knocked off and he's running around going, Help, I'm an unarmed man. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, Leslie Nielsen should have been in this movie. Yeah. It could have been something. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just being silly. You, you know what? No, no, no. You're right. We needed to a second get, cabbie. They have another deranged. A second sort of cabbie, cabbie, or he could have just been a member of the president's cabinet. Like that whole section could have just been filled with random guest stars. <laughs> <laughs> Leslie Nielsen. You know William Shatner. Oh God, I was actually thinking about William Shatner for some reason in the movie. So speaking of ca- like possible other cast members since we started doing it again do you want to play the, your movie game sure to close out the show are you, are you aware of the movie game I'm not okay it's the recasting game and the last time we did it was for our episode on Godzilla and um we the first time we ran through it was we were replacing actors to improve the movie like actors we think could do better the the funny version of the game is you, we replace the actors with as wacky a replacement as possible, but they have to share either the first or last name of the original actor. Yes. So, like, for Kurt Russell, you could do... Uh, uh, Kurt Angle. <laughs> Who is that? He used to be a professional wrestler. No, he still is. He just... Yeah. Uh, uh, Kurt Browning. Uh, Kurt Vonnegut. Kurt Vonnegut. Yes! That's good. <laughs> okay. It, it's in that vein, okay? Well, uh, wait, you we, two take... We can't, we can't top Kurt Vonnegut for Snake Plissken. 
But we can try. Because yes. it's time for Lee Van Cleef. Okay, so. Lee Majors. <laughs> I didn't say it. Lee Majors did. What? Women are things. <laughs> Is there an, are there any other Van Cleefs? I don't think there, there are. I don't think there are any more. Well, there's Van Cleef and Arpel, the jewelers. <laughs> <laughs> Two jewelers as Bob Hoke. Bob Hawk, yeah. That, Lee, are there any other Lees? There's Lee Garlington, the woman who played the waitress in the pilot of Seinfeld. What a weird person to know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Lee Majors, then. Yeah. Ernest Borgnine as Cabby, uh, Ernest Hemingway. I was about as to say, Cabby. Ernest or, Hemingway. Well, we, that's the second author, though. Let's find another Ernest. Oh, let's see. Um, or Borgnine. There's, I don't think there is another Borgnine. There's, there's, there's Ernest Borgnine's wife. I think her name's like Tandy or something. Ernest Tandy? No, no, no. No, Tandy Borgnine. Ernest... Yeah, let's go with Ernest Hemingway. It'll be a very literary... Yeah. A very literary cast. There are... There are it's just a thing. There's... Oh, are, there's no Ernests in... I almost said Ernest Costello, but that's not right. Um, <laughs> there are no Ernests in the world anymore. No. Probably for good reason. Because Jim Barney is dead. Ernest is a terrible name. So... Because it sounds like the, the the adjective, Ernest. Yeah, I guess so. Um, Donald, Ernest Ernest. Huh? Donald Pleasance as the President of the United States. Donald Duck. Really? No. Um, Donald... Donald Sutherland would, t- would be too good. Yeah, he um, would. Um, we need a ridiculous Donald. That's James comes back in. Yes, hello. Um, um, Donald... Donald Faison! <laughs> yes! Donald Glover! Donald Glover. Oh, I'm Either so torn! What's uh, gonna happen? I'm gonna oh. go with Donald Faison just because he's more like wacky. It's true. Like Donald Glover is more like quietly wacky. Yeah, yeah. As Donald Faison. You know who Donald Faison is, right? I have no idea. Turk on Scrubs. Oh, really? Yeah. Nice. Imagine him as the president of the United States. That'd be terrific. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Isaac Hayes. Isaac Newton. Let's go for people who actually exist. Isaac Newton existed. A long time ago. <laughs> um Let's see, um, Isaac Hayes, Sean Hayes. <laughs> As the Duke of New York City. Yes, walking around with the chandeliers on the thing. And oh, the, God, that'd be the so hat and the gun and, and the, yeah. yes. Sean Hayes. Season Hubley, oh my. I don't know. No one sh- has those names. You want to just pick somebody who's got a weirder name? Moon Unit Zappa. Moon Unit <laughs> Zappa, okay. Moving on. <laughs> or no, 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 actually it would probably be Goldie Hawn. Well, then no, we're going on the idea that it's not Kurt Russell anymore. It's right. Kurt Vonnegut. So who would be who would be Kurt Vonnegut's Goldie Hawn? That's an interesting question. I don't know. We're getting too intellectual, I think. We are. Move on. <laughs> Harry uh, Dean Stanton. Harry Anderson from Night Court. You already did Night Court we last did, time. We did, damn it. Um, there's no Harry Stantons. Shearer. Yes. Harry Shearer does all the voices on The Simpsons. Oh, nice. And he's also the newsman in Godzilla. Yes, he is. Um, Adrian Barbeau. Adrian Palicki. Who is that? She's some chick from Friday Night Lights who's going to be playing Wonder Woman in that shitty show they're making for NBC. Oh, gross. Um, there's really no other Adrians with that spelling. Yeah. Or that's sad. Yeah. Tom Atkins. Oh, there's so many Toms. There's so Tom many Toms. Arnold. Tom, oh my god, let's stop right there. Tom, <laughs> Tom Arnold for the win. Um, <laughs> Charles Cyphers. Um, Charles Carroll. Oh my, he's dead. <laughs> oh. He's a living Was one. he alive in 1981? Yes. Yeah, but we're talking about recasting it now, aren't we? Uh, Isn't that how this works? Maybe, yeah. Maybe we're putting way too much thought into it. Maybe. What other Charles would you pick? Oh, God. Charles. Charles. In charge? Charles in charge. No, um, God. Wh- who are there? There are no Charleses anymore. 
This is a really depressing what, version of What happened game. to Charles? He disappeared as a name. Charles Schwab. <laughs> the guy who owns the bank. <laughs> okay, fine. Uh, Joe, Joe Unger. Uh, uh, Joe Manganiello. <laughs> from True Blood. Joe Mantegna. Joe Mantegna, yes! Even better. Oh, God. Frank Doubleday. Uh, well, we already did Moon Units Appa, so it can't be... Well, there's there there are Doubledays and there are Franks. Intriguing ones? Yeah, there, well, there's there's Portia Doubleday. She was the love interest in that shitty movie, that Youth in Revolt. Oh. But then there's also Frank... Caliendo. Yes! Who is Frank Caliendo? He's, I just he, drew that name randomly. He's an impressionist memory. comedian. <laughs> he you know, does the impressions of John Madden. John Madden, yeah. Oh, yeah, let's do Frank Caliendo. Yes, and finally John Strobel as Cronenberg. Because they have such similar names, how about newsman John Stossel? <laughs> You remember John Stossel? He used to do like the conspiratorial yes, I, reports I on twenty twenty. Yeah. Could you imagine Chris Hansen? <laughs> oh God, Chris Hansen is Snake Plissken. So what are you doing here? <laughs> Pay no mind to my eye patch. <laughs> <laughs> Chris Hansen. Yeah. Uh, uh, that was a disappointing version of that game, I think. But I think it was entertaining enough. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it fleshed out the episode a bit more. Yeah, a little bit. I think it's time for final thoughts. Yeah, final thoughts. All right, go. Well, let, let's, let, let's let this fella go first. Go. Final thoughts on Escape from New York. Escape from New York. Go see it. It's not out. <laughs> it hasn't been out for 30 years. <laughs> go buy it. Uh, you can don't. still see it, then. It's I mean, been yeah, out. Well, you <laughs> buy it because it only costs like five bucks, right? But I got it used. That's true. But then again, you got Escape from L.A. for four bucks. I got Escape from L.A. new for four bucks. Yeah, at uh, Sam's Club. It can't be over $10. Yeah, new. don't get it for over $10. It's worth buying. Buy it for a bargain. Time. Buy it for a bargain. If you're gonna, if you're thinking of paying twenty bucks for it, don't. I bet you ten bucks. Unless you already place. love it. Unless you already love it. In which case, buy the two disc edition. Or you already own it. And why are we talking yeah, to you? Exactly. If you love it, you probably already have yeah. it. Anyway, final thoughts. Um, just it was all right. I'm fine. I'll live. Yeah, I could just like I was. I was <laughs> a lot like Brian. This is all right. Uh, maybe. maybe. See it. Uh, Herb Albert. Herb Albert, yeah. Should have been in this movie. Yeah. He should have stored it. He should have. With his black <laughs> noncommittal brass. That would have been so weird. Just yes. like remake, uh, just like take the soundtrack for Casino Royale and stick it under the movie. Oh, we can't do that we again. We can't do that again. Man, we already did that. Um, oh. So, yeah. That's my final thoughts. It was, yeah. was alright. I'm intrigued to see Escape from L.A., definitely, though. Yeah. Now that we've established the character. It's like a pilot. I showed this fella, Mr. Nick Meltzer, the, 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 the third season premiere of Parks and Recreation today, and it's more. It's very much a jump-on episode where it just introduces characters. But by episode two, you were laughing your, your ass off, sir, there, yes, weren't you? Yes, I was. I enjoyed it. So let maybe Escape from L.A., even though it was critically reviled, we might consider that the superior of the two films. Which I'm sure people will chalk up to us being younger and then... Just, and just disprove us and be like, you're yeah. young, you don't know what movies are. Well, some people like sequels better than the first it's ones. It's true. Sterling Archer likes Gator more than White Lightning. It's true. And on that note... Yeah. Uh, your final thoughts, sir? Uh, my, mm, yeah, I have nothing to say that I haven't said before. Uh, I liked it a lot more the first time I saw it. Uh, this time, I, I sort of like respect it more than I like it. Yeah, I can, I can, I can feel you there. Like, I, I really like the, the look of the movie. It looks really good. I love Kurt Russell. It's um, like Kirk Douglas. We respect him because he's a Hollywood legend, but he makes terrible jokes and needs to get off the stage. Well, I wouldn't say that about Kurt Russell. Uh, no, Kurt no, Russell had no, no, no. Awesome... I was talking about the movie. Oh, the movie is Kirk Douglas. Oh, okay, that's odd, but okay. I'll, I'll, I'll accept that. Why not? Keep going. I'm sorry. So yeah, 
it's worth seeing. Yeah. Especially if you have any interest in Kurt Russell or John Carpenter. Yeah, yeah. Or if you have any interest in the evolution of action movies. Yeah, see yeah. It. I mean, it is. I'm sure it's a on the. And, and if you're a set designer, see it because there's some interesting stuff going on yeah. visually in that movie. And if you're a fan of 1980s wrestlers. And Ernest Borgnine. And Ernest Borgnine. And Adrian Barbeau. Yeah, so there are several reasons to see it. Yeah. But you have to be, like, a couple decades older than us. Apparently. Apparently, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, totally a product of its time. But anyway, 1981, Escape from New York, directed by John Carpenter. First installment in our month-long Carpenter-Russell collaboration month. I don't I don't have a catchy title for it. Carp Russell? It's like their couple name, like Benifer. Ugh. <laughs> Uh, Russelter. Uh, no, God, no, wrong. Carp Russell. Carpin Russell. I don't know. There's no. There's no good way to do it. I'm just making this worse. Keep going. Kurt John. No, Jert. The Jert Russelter. Dirk Hardpeck. Slap <laughs> rock. Roll Fizzleby. Crud bone meal. Bob Johnson. Oh wait. Big McLarge huge. You win. I, I that one always wins. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I'm Nick Melton. I'm Jeff Hadley. Ryan Hauser. See you folks next time.